Kia ora and welcome to Cinema in Context, where we discuss all things film and the connections between. My name is Jeremy Downing. I'm William Chen. And I'm Sarah Watt. And each month at Cinema in Context, we discuss two films, one current and one retrospective, with some connection. It could be the same director, the same actor, or a similar theme. However, in another breaking of protocol, we decided that for the first episode of 2022 and our 70th episode of Cinema in Context, can we give ourselves a round of applause? Woo! Seventy months. I think we're in our sixth year. Mm. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, coming into our seventh, which is very exciting. But for our seventieth episode, we decided to look at seven films from the summer. So for any of our northern hemisphere listeners, it is the summer down here in Aotearoa, and we've been in lockdown in Auckland, um, as has much of the world been disrupted by COVID. And it seemed to be that after getting out of that lockdown, we were overwhelmed with. A plethora, I believe we used that word last time as well, mm. a plethora of cinema magic. Uh, so this is a chance to, yeah, discuss and talk about them. I want to give a shout out to my friend Sophie, who's a regular listener. She requested that we talk about The Power of Dog. Good and I on her. We talked about maybe pairing that with the piano for this episode, didn't mm. we? Mm. Um, so this one's for uh, you, Sophie. Yes. <laughs> the piano does feature prominently in both movies. That's right. That's right. But we decided to focus uh, more broadly just to capture some of the brilliance of the, the, the what has been this great summer. Mm. Um, in terms of spoilers, I think we're going to try and remain relatively spoiler-free. Yes. Yeah. Um, but I think with all things... Um, yeah, if you haven't seen some of these episodes and you want to save all of the surprises, I would suggest pausing it and coming back to this episode at a future date. But without further ado, here are our seven films in alphabetical order. Ooh. Don't Look Up, mm-hmm. Encanto, The French Dispatch, House of Gucci, <laughs> The Matrix Resurrections, the aforementioned power of dog is it the power of it's dog the power of the dog the power of the dog thank mm-hmm. you Sarah. or is it just power of the dog the power of the dog the power of the dog the power of the dog mm. Mm, interesting and west side story mm. so those are our seven films uh should we start with don't look up i'm happy to jump in with a bit of a plot yes, summary. explain yeah, to yeah, us what it. this netflix film is all about jeremy so this netflix film i think probably more than anything has uh, a very very prominent all-star cast so it stars Leonardo DiCaprio and Jennifer Lawrence as the leads with supporting characters of Meryl Streep, Jonah Hill, Timothy Chalamet, 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 um, Chalamet. Uh, who else have we got? Melanie there? Linsky. Oh, Melanie mm-hmm. Linsky is wonderful mm-hmm. and they play um, a collection of characters but the main two leads are scientists who have spotted a meteor or is an asteroid. Is it a meteor when it enters in the atmosphere? I think you're talking to the wrong type of scientist right. here. Okay, cool. <laughs> uh, and uh, this, this is coming straight for Earth. It's going to most certainly destroy the planet. And so they are very um, urgent in their efforts to try and communicate that to the President of the United States, to various uh, media outlets and people around the world. Well, actually, mostly in the United States. But the idea is that it's around the world to warn people of this asteroid. And they've got six months. Is that right? So it's six months yeah. until the asteroid hits. That is correct. Right. Um, but uh, nobody seems to care too much or mm. take it very seriously. And what transpires is a social satire that could be about global warming, it could be about the state of American politics, it could be about COVID, it could be about a range of things, but it is very damning of the current state of affairs. Uh, All wrapped up in a kind of comedic package, uh, directed and written by Adam McKay, I believe. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm. So Adam McKay did The Big Short, 
which was that incredibly complex, and I think on first viewing for me, incredibly complex finance film, the one about the, um, the not the Great Depression, what was the latest one called? <laughs> Global Financial Crisis. The, the GFC, that's right, um, with, a, with a similarly starry cast. Uh, and wasn't he one of the showrunners of Succession? I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure. Because then he followed up uh, with Vice, the Dick Cheney. Oh, movie. I loved Vice. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, politically oriented. Uh, mm -hmm. And, yeah, climate change, uh, among other things. I wonder if it wasn't... They were trying to make it for a lot... For quite a period of time. And then it's become more and more relevant with different layers as COVID's come into play. Well, isn't that matter that he's yeah. been trying to make a film that's effectively about the world not listening to imminent peril? <laughs> and everyone's like, but not now, not now, Adam, not now. <laughs> I mean, for crying out loud. What do you think, William? Let's, let's pass, the, pass it over to you. Oh, what, what do I think? Well, I might just answer in a song. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, the audience only wrote one song for these seven movies. So and it's, the, it's one, one of the non-musicals where yeah, there's so much music yes. in the other movies. <laughs> so this is using a well-known musical tune. Um, my song for my review of Don't Look Up. <clears throat> okay. There was a time when McKay made good movies and the movies were funny. There was a time when Wolf Ferrell just riffing made large sums of money there was a time then it all went wrong i dreamed a dream of jokes gone by those equal opportunity offenders before limp set i had run dry Bogged down by loud liberal agenda. <laughs> no more Talladega Nights. <laughs> no more classics like Step Brothers <laughs> or Catherine Hahn and Adam Scott's <laughs> rendition of Sweet Child of Mine. 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 Oh, marvellous. Um, yeah, I, I hated this movie. <laughs> oh! Adam McKay used to make really good stuff, and I gr agree, Sarah. I, I thought um, uh, The Big Short, and to some extent Vice, I, I like Big Short a lot more than Vice, Yeah. but they have something to say, and they did so in an entertaining yet, you know, educational fashion. Mm. Um, this just like, this movie just seemed like a liberal on his high horse going, rah, 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 rah. Mm. world sucks, rah, rah, rah. Um, which is uh, okay, like, fine. But the crux of it, and all the two main things that I just didn't enjoy, I thought the satire was super broad and just weak. Yeah. And other things had done it better. I, I think, I mean, in our chat, I talked about stuff like The Boys, you know, with social media satire. And that's a superhero satire, but it's so much more on the pulse of what's actually happening yes. with social media. Um, and then I just did not find it funny. Like, the comedy really didn't work for me. I thought the casting was great. I think Leo... Um, in particular, is just such a believable scientist. He really is. He was, yeah, I yeah. thought his performance was marvellous. Like, like bug-eyed and his face going red and yeah. just not a good public speaker. And Malay Aninsky is also just awesome in this movie. Um, the real, really broad stuff, like Meryl Streep, Jonah Hill, and I can take it or leave it, but I, I just didn't find it funny and I didn't find it 
uh, inspirational in any form. I love that scene with Melanie Linsky and uh, Kate Blanchett and Leonardo DiCaprio. And I just was like, man, Melanie Linsky is such a great actor. And just to see her, not just like holding her own sounds patronizing to Melanie Linsky, but she's with these pretty massive names. And I, I mean, she started her career with Kate Winslet. So there's a connection there with Leonardo DiCaprio. But that man, that was a cool scene. And you just fully just everything within me was like on her side when she's throwing things at Leo and Kate Blanchett's just standing there looking terrible. Like she looks great, but she's, yeah, yeah. I loved her. Melanie's, um, Melanie's so marvelous and uh, listeners will be probably watching Yellow Jackets, which mm. I cannot rave more uh, highly about. Um, and it's interesting. I read a wonderful profile of Mel- Melanie Linsky that articulated one of her talents is she has such a contained gentle way about her that when she but when she gets mad you are quite shocked and you really take it seriously because she seems like a very contained person who's really really angry and it's um it's just she's so great at those sorts of characters i mean i can't help but think of heavenly creatures when she gets really really angry angry she kills your mum with a brick and a (laughs) (laughs) a little yes yes that's a shorthand but yes that's exactly right um i hear you william i fully can appreciate that and i think about that film mother that we reviewed many years ago where i think if you were on board with the commentary i was making then then you had a good time or if i just found that so on the nose and i just was once like once the allegory was clear in that film i was like oh this is so infuriating so i could definitely appreciate that i i watched don't look up in quite a forgiving environment it was during christmas time it was the whole extended well my whole blood larger family sitting around in the lounge let's put on this movie all ages you know my nephew's in there who's 14 my parents are in there who are you know grandparents um and i you know for all of the things you said i don't disagree with you but we had i I had a good time and um i think the the stuff that um, like none of us were reading too heavily into it. Like we just watched a, a story. And I think if, it, if I'd been in a different environment or different space, it would have been quite a different viewing experience. I suppose there's things like the fact that Meryl Streep is so obviously a Donald Trump and, and, and uh, Jonah Hill is, is playing her son, <laughs> but, you know, effectively is the Jared uh, Kuchner, Kuchner? Uh, character. And so once the parody's been explained you really, really either have to run with it and do it mm. really well or, yeah. or or don't do it at all. Because that was the joke, right? And initially, yep. I have to think, initially I was like, oh, I like, I like it. I like their interaction. But then you either got to, you've got to keep that going or forget about it. Yeah. Um, for me, it was also Mark Rylance as the tech guy. It's like, okay, I, I see where you're going with this. Right. I, I think like, because when I watched it, I wasn't thinking, like climate change came to mind. I was like, oh, this could be climate change. But I was more acutely thinking about anti-vax sentiment in the midst of a pandemic right. that's kind of where my mind was at and i guess with family members and loved ones who are you know i was home in, in my hometown and there's people in, that, in my family who are terrified and that's resulted in them being kind of outwardly anti-vaccination and i sure. was like this is just the stupidest mm. thing so, ever and so when that's there's a scene in that movie where jennifer lawrence goes to um, meet, uh, goes to stay with her parents and they go look we we don't want any politics we're just we're just what we're, we're about is the jobs that the meteorite's going to create, which just made me laugh so much because the kind of level of stupidity at one level, but the very domestic kind of reality at another level. Mm. Um, and she's in this very privileged position as this scientist. Like that to me spoke quite clearly to the current state of things. Mm. And so I, I was able to look past the very kind of one note reading of Republican politics mm. and kind of a very one note reading of global, well, 
not one re- note reading of global warming, but that being seen as the reading of the film. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe here's, you know, so maybe this is a challenge. Um, and perhaps a challenge to Adam McKay. If you're going to make a film that you want to be accessible to all audiences and you want it to be informative and possibly persuasive in a particular way, you've got to do better. Because otherwise, the, the say the liberals among us might watch it and go, well, that wasn't very funny, but we hear you, but we already believed it. Yeah, preaching uh, to the choir. Kind of right, preaching to the choir, but not preaching very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those who need a heck of a lot more persuasion of whatever is important are going to lose it because it wasn't delivered very well. or it's you know. Like Veep. Like Veep, you never know what side of the political spectrum mm-hmm. anyone sits. And as a result, um, people will respond to it and they will see yeah. wherever... Oh, in their own their, way. Their they'll own see their heroes and villains. Lovely. So Veep is never clear. Right. She is never yep. clearly Republican That's or Democrat. That's very, very cleverly done. Um, and, and they've said that when all of the politicians they're watching and love that show, they always see the opponents. Mm-hmm. Yes. They're like, oh, that's yeah. just like my opponent, blah, blah, blah. They Fantastic. never see themselves as much. Um, but yeah, so we're going to do a system of either thumbs up or thumbs down. Mm. So double thumbs up is like, wow, that's epic. Double thumbs down is that. It's a complete stinker. Mm. And so something in between. Um, how are we going to do this? Sarah, what's your... I'm just going to go one thumb up um, because I didn't hate it. And, um, and there were bits... And the thing is, I went into it thinking everyone hates this and thinks it's rubbish. And I didn't think it was that rubbish. And so I think things like Leonardo's performance um, and, as I say, the initial cleverness around the, the, the parent relationship in the White House, I was like, well, this isn't as dire as I thought. But I just don't think it's good enough. Two thumbs way down for me. Uh, just <laughs> bounced off real hard. Yeah, did not work for me at all. And that's, that's not surprising based on your criticisms, which, you know, I, I don't disagree with, but I still had a good time. So for me, it's a one thumb up as mm. well. One thumb up for our first film, Don't Look Up. Right. I'm going to pass it to William. William, would you like to introduce us to our next movie? Yeah, sure thing. So guys, 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 um, I just watched a visually resplendent movie on Disney Plus featuring a multi-generational family all living within the same grandiose and esoteric residence. Through the matriarch's travails, the children all display preternatural talents, wowing the community. However, the absence of the patriarch has magnified each of their neuroses and the household is threatened with collapse unless everyone learns that the greatest and most difficult of talents is family. But enough about Royal Tenenbaums! Oh, nice! <laughs> it's on Disney Plus. It's on because the, they bought Fox. Oh, wow. I just watched yeah. that recently. <laughs> I, I didn't even make that. that. Yeah. So what's the actual movie? Encanto. Encanto. So the uh, new film from one of the directors of Tangled. Oh. Um, gosh, this, this is a great movie. Um, so basically, a a fa- the family Madrigal in Colombia. Uh, display all sorts of crazy X-Men-like powers. And each time a new child of the family gets their powers, uh, this living house that they live in, a new room opens up with magical delights within. And the movie focuses on a young woman, is it Maribel or Maribel? Maribel. Maribel, played by uh, Stephanie Beatrice. Uh, who is the only member of her family who does not have any powers. Heartbreaking. Mm. Yeah, it's heartbreaking. It's, um, and then, of course, um, stuff goes on from there, and it's about her relationship with her abuela. It's about the family's relationship with their past and how family sticks together and how that brings more strength than any of their individual powers. Mm. 
Lovely. I think it's fair to say that the, the, the real impressive elements of this movie from a narrative perspective, kind of, we would need to spoil the film, I think, to really talk about it. But it's it covers a, a certain message about family that I haven't seen quite like this before. Mm. Um, Which is interesting you say that because I feel like every film nowadays is about family, whether it's the fast movies... To, explicitly yeah. so <laughs> right you know um so it's nice isn't it that Encanto has been able to deliver a different um version of of the family yeah. message well it's just not that it's not that message of like we're family we're together it's yeah. actually we've, we've got to this point and things are going wrong like there's that the song from is it Louisa the, mm-hmm. the strong sister yeah. yeah and it turns out she's buckling under the pressure yeah of, you know as an oldest child I, I fully <laughs> yes. can relate um <laughs> And and then you've got the the beautiful sister who actually she's just sick of perfection and mm-hmm. she wants to just mm. be creative and make. So the invidiousness of our our talents, our gifts, and yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. And but, how but, it can but, box us in, and also how why it boxes them in is because of the family unit. Yeah, right. Um, the family, even though it's loving and it celebrates success, that that very nature ends up being really really toxic, especially to people. Like uh, Mirabel, who has no powers and has been ostracized yeah. in a really awful way. I cannot believe how dark this movie gets, you guys. Mm. Yeah. Um, never explicitly so. Like, there's, there's no, you know, there's not much violence. There's not really even a real, like, villain. Yeah. Um, but, man, this goes to some really weird psychological places yeah. um, in a subtle-ish way. And I really, really appreciated that. So we, so my boyfriend and I, we didn't even saw this at the movies. Like, we had to go at, like, 10 a.m. on a Sunday because yeah. it was the only time it was on last year when everything was on. Um, had had a brilliant time. And I came out of it going, great film. Music, I was a bit like, oh, it just sounds like every other Lin-Manuel Miranda music, you know, musical. Um, but my gosh, I've, I'm going to step back from that statement because... It's been popping up on TikTok. Okay. The album's become. I think it's it's now. Is it has it eclipsed the Frozen soundtrack? But it's good well, lord. Something like Goodness that. Like it's gracious. breaking records on streaming platforms. It's. And can I just ask? Is it a Lin Manuel Miranda? Is. Yeah. Oh, I didn't make that connection. Yeah. Stupidly. Okay. Yeah. Right. I, I wasn't a huge fan of the music. I, I felt some of the songs were catchy, like Luisa's song. And the um, we the, don't talk about yes, room, no, that that no, one no. that one chorus, which that's going, that's that's uh, heading on the charts at the moment. Nice. Wow! Um, I the more that I've listened to it, the more I've just and I find this with Lin Manuel Miranda's stuff, his it's so intricate that the mm. more I listen to it, I'm like, oh yeah, okay, I'm appreciating this more and more. Mm. Um, but no, I thought it was fantastic. And another thing I watched on TikTok again <laughs> um, is that the Disney executives wanted them to make Louise's character not so muscly and big mm-hmm. because they were afraid that it would affect toy sales and mm-hmm. the children wouldn't want to buy it. Yeah. And so they made less Louisa dolls and they did um, Isabella, who's the pretty yeah. flower yeah, sister. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And... But the market wants Louisa dolls. They're, they're flying That's off good. the shelves, and yeah. the, the um, Isabella ones aren't selling as well. It's yeah. very, very good. Because I, I saw the dolls at the toy shop, and um, yeah, Isabella, obviously, but the Mirabelle dolls, like, they changed the design to look more stereotypically pretty, and was like, mm. They ah. changed Mirabelle? Yeah, her face is less round. It's, you know, like, not Barbie doll proportions, no. but heading towards that direction. Oh, it's that's like, interesting. Oh, that's an interesting choice. Because mm. I thought Mirabelle, I mean, I did look at the yeah. female representation, uh, and um, I forget the name of the Vane sister. 
uh, Isabel. Isabel. Uh, Isabel, yeah, yeah, no, not interested in her at all. And and that was, you know, stereotypical, this, that, and the other. But I did notice that Louisa, um, being very broad, very strong, was still very attract, very mm. pretty. Um, and I really, really like Mirabel. Oh, um, gosh, yeah. You know, you don't just chuck a pair of glasses and curl, curl a girl's... Well, you do, actually. You just chuck a pair of glasses <laughs> on her and curl her hair. But she's delightful. Then you take her glasses um, off and... <gasps> well, yeah, that's right. What? <laughs> But I, yeah, no, I, lo- I thought she was perfectly, yeah. perfectly made to be um, the exact sort of message that you want for your, your, your chicas who are, you know, growing up. Absolutely agree. The character design work on Mirabelle was amazing. That's actually, I think, my favorite part of the movie. Just how she, she reacts, how she moves, how she mm. looks. Um, her, her eyes during some of those songs, how she's glancing at the donkeys and stuff. It's like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, this stuff is so good. Um, and I'm just, yeah, a little, a little bummed that in the merchandising uh, reflects away from what makes her sure. awesome. Mm. Interesting what you guys say about the, the, well, what you say, William, about the psychological darkness of it, because I was picking that up because I, my nephew is nearly five and, um, he's only been to the movies with, with me once, would you believe, despite having me as an auntie and that was Peter Rabbit 2, but we're not here to talk about Peter Rabbit 2 and how brilliant <laughs> that film was. Um, but I do watch these things and I think, oh, you know, would Ezra like this and, and would, will there be dark elements? And I did sort of think I was anticipating, he, he and I haven't watched it together yet I don't know how this is going to go but I did sort of think if he is to say Auntie Sarah why is she sad why doesn't she have a gift um I don't really know I mean short of Mm. spoiling the film I don't know what to do with that in a way you know what I mean because Mm. I don't want him to feel bummed out watching something that's about somebody who is sad about who they are for a time do you get what I mean? Yeah, but it's such mm. a good... Uh, I, I totally know what I mean. But I think like, it's like with Inside Out, you know, which is quite a complicated movie. Oh, yes. There'll um, be, we need to wait a few years mm. for that one. But yes, yes. But I think with this one, it's such a beautiful message, which is, you know, we're not our gifts. We're more than our gifts. Yes. And the most heartbreaking shot in that film is when the little the little gorgeous Mirabelle, the door disappears and she like looks up at her grandmother. With, I'm like, it breaks my heart every time I see yeah. that. But yeah, it's hard to know what kids respond to. And... I know that my niece and nephew sometimes have just burst into tears in, in moments in movies when we're not expecting it because they're really connecting with it. Mm. And they're keyed into something else that maybe isn't the dark m- music or the werewolves or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I should just like to say, gentlemen, I uh, started learning Spanish last year and I decided with Encanto, because you can on Disney+, Plus, that I would watch it with the Spanish audio <laughs> and English subtitles because my Spanish isn't that good. Um... And so I did, and I persevered with that, and it was a great thing to do. And I know that this is like how they make movies and have done for ages, but I'm so impressed with the fact that in Spanish, because let's face it, the lips are still moving to English language, mm-hmm. but the songs and everything rhyme and they make yeah. sense and everything's so well written to absolutely translate um, across various languages. Wow, you know? that's cool. It was beautiful. That's very cool. And also, oh, and we'll get to talking about this in West Side Story. The interesting thing um, about the use of Spanish language in the English version, uh, sorry, do you know what I mean? Like in the yeah. English audio, they'd still say abuela, da 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 da. They didn't go grandma and have to really sort of anglicize everything for the audience. So there, yeah. I felt as though in the snippet that I watched in English before deciding to go Spanish, um, oh, I was like, oh, that's, that's interesting. That's great that there is 
this sense that you will just have to flip and work out what these Spanish terms are and yeah. it's implicit and all that sort of thing. I think thing. they did that in Coco really, really well. Mm, um, true that. And, and just reading responses from Latinx uh, young people about, uh, you know, that's how I speak at home, like mm. mixing Spanish and English. And yeah, really, really good stuff. Mm. I think this film as well is doing much better than than people were expecting. At least mm. when I first watched it, I was like, oh, yeah, this is great, but nobody seemed to be talking about it. And I thought, oh, okay, maybe it's just, it's not really hit the mark. Mm. But this movie is, I mean, we don't know what the streaming numbers are. No. It hasn't made heaps in, in the in the theatrical realm. Because but, of Omnicron. Yeah, but, but apparently it's streaming is huge. Like, it's really, I mean, if the and if the music sales are anything to go by, mm. it's yeah. doing very well. Um, just one more thing before we leave Encanto. Um, did you guys see the short before Encanto? Yes, uh, we cried. Josh and I cried. Oh my gosh, it's so good. It's on Disney Plus here if you want to search for Far From The Tree. Does it come up automatically? No. Yeah, uh, it's a separate short. Oh yeah, Disney okay, Plus. no, I didn't. When you're in the cinema, um, it plays Okay, okay. Yeah, it's, uh, it's beautiful. It's really, really nicely done. And... Uh, what I keep wanting from Disney, I think last year I had such a good time with Arcane because they use computer animation in a way that you don't usually see, right? It's much more hand-drawn and painterly. And Far From The Tree is that style, except done with the Disney kind of flat cell shading. Um, and it looks brilliant. And I want to see a feature film with this technology. Mm. Yeah, awesome, awesome stuff. Nice. So, uh, what do we reckon? Who wants to start with their thumbs? All right, uh, two thumbs up for me. Uh, still not a huge fan of the music. Maybe I should revisit it. Uh, but everything else, the visuals, the story, the character design, uh, top notch. I agree. Big double thumbs up for me. It was a two thumbs up for me when I first saw it, but it's even more so. I think if it was a four-star film when I first saw it, it's a five-star film for me mm. now. Having watched it, watched it twice, I watched it with my nephews and Nelson, um, and my niece watched it, she... she she said to me, I said, do you want to watch the film? And she's like, no, I'm busy. And then she came in halfway through and she walked away. And then she said to me the next day, oh, Uncle Jeremy, I didn't realize you're watching that movie. I would have wanted to watch it. But I came in halfway through and I didn't want to watch it halfway through. How young is she? She's 11 or 12. Oh, okay. And then she goes, she goes but I watched it this morning and I loved it. Oh, nice. Um, so yeah, two thumbs up for me. Great time. I'd go two thumbs up as well. I don't, I, I, I think it's beautiful. I think it's appropriate. I think it's timely. And interesting what you say about the music. Because I can be quite critical of new music that I think is like generic or whatever. And I actually was conscious, particularly during the Luisa song, funnily enough, and I didn't realise that's gone on to be a hit. Um, I was like, this is the first time I'm hearing this and I'm actually really into it. Mm. So for me, with my terribly high standards and massive judgement, um, that's a good thing. So yeah, two thumbs up. Nice. Well, let's move on to our third film, which is The French Dispatch. Sarah, mm. would you like to give us a rundown of The French Dispatch? Um, thank you, uh, Jeremy. Uh, yes. <laughs> so, in fact, uh, Wes Anderson uh, returns with this beautiful... Um, it's not a portmanteau film, but it is... Oh, my gosh, it's so interesting. So, The French Dispatch is the name of the... The, the, the magazine uh, that this film is constructed around, and it's based not at all loosely on the New Yorker magazine, <laughs> uh, and some of the personages in this film are, are based not at all loosely on real New Yorker journalists from last century. 
Um, so Wes Anderson's put together this gorgeous film. Oh, I'm giving away how I feel about it, but whatever. <laughs> gorgeous film that instead of being uh, one sort of 90 or 120 minute uh, narrative, is a series, feels like a series of short films, but all related. And the beautiful, I thought it was a charming way of doing it, because you can imagine if you're reading a magazine, then you are reading in-depth articles, um, and they are all standalone pieces. And that's really the the timbre the tone of uh, of this film it has a, a very starry cast as most of wes anderson's films do um and i thought wonderful performances from regulars like tilda swinton and irregulars like benicio del toro um and uh oh a plethora uh, of uh, act Timothy uh, actors, Shamalema, <laughs> yeah. that's right. Uh, T Timothy Chalamet, um, Lea Seydoux, mm -hmm. the French actress who is also to be seen in No Time to Die, mm. the uh, latest James Bond movie. Mm -hmm. um, so yes, that is uh, the French Dispatch. How did you all feel about that film? William and I went and saw it together. So ah, we, again, it was like mm. a 10 a.m. on a Sunday, I think, because mm -hmm. there just seems to be no time for lots, lots of these movies. Uh, so we went to see it at Rialto Cinema in Newmarket. Mm -hmm. um, I think there was like a couple of other people in the theatre. Mm. Uh, I loved it. I had loved it from start to finish. I haven't loved a uh, Wes Anderson film. Oh, no, I lie. I loved Isle of Dogs, which was his last movie. Yeah, yeah. But he definitely can be... I don't want to say hit and miss. I think that's too negative. I think yeah. his his style, I'm not always in the mood for, and the pretentiousness of it doesn't always match the, you know, like I didn't love Grand Budapest Hotel as mm. much as some people did, um, but I loved this. Mm. Loved it. Yeah, uh, me too. Right there with you, Jeremy. I think we, we were just laughing throughout as well. Mm. It's a really funny movie. Yes. I, I guess, you know, ostensibly all his movies are comedies, but this one, there's just these jokes and visual gags like scattered throughout yes you, you can't go more than a minute with, without something funny happening um but even more surprising than that and, and more surprising than of course the the wes anderson of it all or wes anderson-ness mm. um I, I think some people called it not the best wes anderson movie but the most wes anderson yeah movie. yeah nice yeah <laughs> um, and it's like oh um you want to introduce someone to wes anderson probably don't start with this one right it's, it's so in your face every single shot has the 90 degree camera, the flat, you know, mise-en-scene. Like, it is mise-en-scene the movie. Yes. Everything in its place. Um, but I, I was really surprised at how heartfelt a lot of the stories were. Like, every single, oh, maybe not the Owen Wilson book, the cycling you know, introduction, but the three main stories that make up the meat of the movie, there's all, always this, this emotional hook that you, uh, you just don't expect. And they become really, really moving and melancholy and also quite sad in places. Um, and this is in the midst of, for example, a caper where it suddenly turns into a Bond Destiny style animated chase sequence mm. featuring a circus strongman. Um, yeah, awesome use of tone and of, of this tonal shift. Um, found really, really surprising. Did not see that coming. A real love letter to France, obviously, and mm -hmm. I think that you know most of Wes Anderson's films um, belie his love his love of uh, everything francophone and mm -hmm. francophile. But um, I I am just charmed by little. I mean, as you say about the details, oh my gosh! If anything, I wanted the film. I wanted to be able to pause it yes. so that I could look for longer at a particular 
frame. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm always enchanted by clevernesses, like the fact that the film is set in the town of Ennui <laughs> sur Blasé, <laughs> which is so gorgeous because of the naming conventions of French towns that are sur on. Uh, usually a river or something, and ennui being boredom and blasé being blasé. I mean, just like so fleeting. Mm. I, I really liked that this didn't, as chock-a-block as it is, with all of these clever little details and witticisms, it isn't actually heavy-handed. Mm. So he doesn't go, ennui sur blasé, get it? And he doesn't flip in subtitle it so that yeah, we get yeah, it. Yeah. It's like you either get it or you don't get it, and it's okay if not, and you move on. Um, so I found it very, very charmant. Uh, uh, I would say charming and uh, yeah I, I intoxicating in fact and absolutely the right time in the pandemic and mm. in Aotearoa and in my life to watch something diverting mm. that I love things that transport me back several several decades to what you consider you know how it is when you look back at the past and you think oh Oh, the 1960s, that would have been a good time. Or the 1940s or whatever. Oh, if, I, if we'd lived then, everything would have been the halcyon days. And of course, the people who lived then yeah. were going, oh, 1880, gosh, if I'd lived back then, that would have been the good times. So, Sounds you know. like the plot to a Woody Allen movie. <laughs> Which, oh, yes, yes, exactly. Like Midnight in Paris. And right? also Last Night in Soho Absolutely. has a similar, similar plot. And, you know, Midnight yeah. in Paris was similarly intoxicating for me because I was yeah. full of the whole, oh, my gosh, if only I could go back and uh, hang out with uh, Ernest Hemingway. Um, <laughs> and then it's like, nah, life still would have been. Like, <laughs> life still would have had its hard hard bits then as well. How do you guys feel about the three main stories? Was there a particular favourite? Uh, my, my thinking before I get to that is that I, I think I said this to you, William, when we finished mm -hmm. the film. I'm not always a fan of those type of movies. Like, I only got halfway through that Coen Brothers one the, the, oh, the Buster, Buster Scruggs yeah not oh, because yeah. I wasn't enjoying it but because I just was like oh, I've, watched, I've watched three stories and maybe I'll watch yeah. the other four another day and I never have watched it another day <laughs> but I think the interweaving of the Bill Murray character and kind of that being the central thread mm. was it just I was so captured by it that was the book ending obviously yeah. wasn't it, it well was it was the... through the whole thing because he would he would go to the next writer between the stories sure and... sure but that's the whole point of yeah. it's being a magazine and his being the editor-in-chief I suppose yeah right? which does tie it together was, nicely you knew he was gonna die yeah. and like it was and he, he was basically the world's best and nicest editor mm. <laughs> like, mm. so, so or, what they say in the film like coddling his writers mm. yeah oh man um, I, and I felt that also added to that was the fact that each of the stories had their place and they all kind of had their corner and I, and I couldn't pick which one I preferred more than the other I felt they Neither. were all equally offering of something quite different mm. but tonally very connected um, and I sort of thought by the time you get to the third one the Jeffrey Wright story I was like, oh, this is this better live up to the first two because the first two are brilliant. Which, interestingly, I think of another movie where that didn't happen was the Sin City sequel, mm. Dame to Kill For. First two stories, enjoyable. Third story kind of let the whole movie down. Right. Um, but no, I thought, I, I loved all three. Mm. You loved the day. cuisine one. Yeah, William, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, that one hit me really hard. The Jeffrey Wright well, one. When Jeffrey Wright like, stops the movie dead and kind of, I, I think Lee Schreiber asks him just an offhanded question. He starts talking about the the power of restaurants and like why it's so important being, and I guess this whole movie is about, you know the, the foreign experience in France. Yes. Right. Um, since they're all Americans. Yes, they're, they're all transported. expats, aren't they? Yeah. 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 Um, and talking about why food and restaurants are so important, and to me it just sounded like. Wes Anderson like fully projecting onto his characters. Doesn't he live in, in Paris right now? 
And I guess he just hangs around Parisian cafes, like it's, it's <laughs> writing probably, movies. Yeah, wow. um, yeah. That that was that was wonderful. And then of course the movie. Oh, that segment ends with Stephen Park, uh, his chef character, having this this big revelation about like the for, forbidden flavor, which is such a random <laughs> and weird way <laughs> to finish the segment. That's right. It's like. This is so strangely moving. Like, this is a man who's who, he, he's seen it all. Yeah. He's the best in this field, and yet the only thing that eludes him is something that will kill him. Right. Like, man, that's that's great. <laughs> and Stephen Park. Um, I mean, I'm I'm much more uh, simplistic than you, William, uh, uh, because I just like the fact that his name was uh, Chef or, or Lieutenant Nescafe. Nescafe. Oh, again, such a small detail that is just like oh. Charming. The cast yeah. is incredible. Every, you know, Willem Dafoe just sort of in the small part in the yeah. cage, and mm. Saoirse Ronan being the, the the woman and you know the prostitute and that story. And it was everybody was just Schwartzman just appearing to draw a chicken or a turkey. Yeah, on his hand. that's right. <laughs> I thought this was a better performance from Francis McDormand than the new Macbeth movie. I enjoyed mm. it much more in this than I did in Macbeth. Yeah. Um, like she was fine in Macbeth, but I actually felt her doing something different oh. in the first Yes, yes, yes. Cool. Um, that wonderful scene where she's like, why am I crying? And then they realise they're being tear gassed. It's just yeah. something about that was just brilliant. <sighs> mm. um, yeah, this is a big two thumbs up from me. Same here. Same here. Oh, easy. Ooh. Right, should we move on to Alsa Gucci? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think I said, you're going to tell us how's Gucci. I am. So I'm crossing the border into Italia. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Lady and gentlemen, if you have not seen Alsa Gucci, you might be wishing that you do because it does star the most incredible... Uh, Lady Gaga in the t in the main role as Patrizia Reggiani, a secretary, a working class secretary who marries into the house of Gucci by marrying Maurizio Gucci, the son of the the head of the Gucci uh, empire, played by Adam Driver, whom I also think of as a fabulous actor who can do no wrong whatsoever. So this follows uh, their marriage and their love affair, and it is not a spoiler to tell you that uh, things turn sour and Patrizia Reggiani takes a hit out on her husband. Um, it's not a spoiler because A, this story is real life, uh, and B, it happens at the very beginning of the movie. Um, but <laughs> House of Gucci, um, which is directed by Ridley Scott, uh, uh, for I don't know which reasons it makes uh, everybody speak like this uh, through the whole film. Uh, for me personally, Patrizia Reggiani, so Lady Gaga is of Italian descent, and she, I think, pulls it off. Oh, I, I actually I, think so. I disagree. She sounds Eastern European through what? half this movie. To me, <laughs> she retains an authenticity ah. such that I believed in her character, but Al Pacino... Yeah, Italian descent. Jeremy Irons, not Italian whatsoever and does make no effort whatsoever to maintain <laughs> his actor, accent. And Jared Leto, and I haven't, I've looked him up. I don't know. I don't think Leto is a, an Italian descent, but everybody else just feels like they're in a pantomime. <laughs> Especially Al Pacino, which is hilarious. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Uh, but some people like he's, Al Pacino. I, I, I liked him. He's acted in Italian before. Yeah. Oh my like... gosh. So... Yeah, so House of Gucci, mm, what a poisoned chalice, double-edged sword, <laughs> two sides of a coin, um, yes. Uh, I, I'm just going to go out there and say, and this might be contentious amongst you lot, I don't know, 
But uh, I think Jared Leto is amazing in this movie. <laughs> what sort of amazing? What sort of amazing? Like, the so exact, bad it's good amazing? Yes, the exact camp kitsch that this movie needs. And mm. every time he appears and every time he acts opposite Gaga or, or Irons, um, I think it elevates their performances because they, they, they become more cartoonish to match him. And I was like, yes, this is the movie I've been waiting for. Um, <laughs> otherwise, just there was no energy. Apart from, mm. you know, every time Jared Leto was off screen, the audience was shouting, Where's Jared Leto? Sure. Uh, he, he is a cartoonish monster. Uh, also, his accent, I think, borders on hate crime places. <laughs> That's interesting. <laughs> it's it's, it's he, real bad. He it's turned bad. up on set in full makeup and went up to Al, uh, Al Pacino and went, Papa! <laughs> and Al Pacino was like, Who is this guy? Yeah. And, it, and he kept just calling him Papa. And then it was sort of not oh, maybe half an hour later, someone said, oh, That's Jared Leto. And he's like, Oh! Son! Oh, oh, I'm prepared to engage with this guy. Honestly, yeah. I think, you know, I think that Jared Leto, say what you like, will win the Oscar for most acting. <laughs> I have to, I'm the opposite of you, William, because I oh, thought, oh. I thought, um, I loved the, I actually had a really good time in this movie, uh-huh. uh, except for when Jared Leto was on the screen. Whenever he, when he first arrived, I was like, what is going on? And then it just kept happening and he was so over the top. I felt like he was out of an Austin Powers film. <laughs> yes. And I just wasn't enjoying it. I, I actually quite enjoyed um, El Pacino. And I, you know, you know how much I love Lady Gaga. I thought mm. she was, I thought her and Adam Driver together were just yeah. fantastic. And, mm. and I was watching an interview with her yesterday where she said that he had this incredible stillness, which is mm. what his character was. Mm. And her character was flitting around the whole time. Mm. And she described her journey as, as a, she, she, she embodied three different animals throughout the journey. So the first was like a house cat, mm. like playful, sexy. Mm-hmm. Um, all of them were like scavengers and, and just trying to survive. Yeah. Third one was a fox who was kind of hunting for food, but still quite playful. And then the final one, after she gets served papers, um, there's a panther. Mm-hmm. And, and apparently a panther cries after kills and sex and things like that. Mm. So, um, yeah, I, no, I, was, I, I thought she was fantastic and... I, her accent for me was was fine. Apparently, she trained for six months and she stayed in accent yeah, yeah. for the entire film. Mm. Um, I think was I talking to you about this, Sarah, about how she was exhausted by the end of the film, uh, or maybe someone else. I can't you did. Remember. You mentioned it that she she has acknowledged from working with other good actors that she needs to find boundaries. Yeah, find a healthier way to work. She said she gets into the shoot and she's just like a mm. shell she's of herself. She's given it everything. And but I think I think she's, you know, she's trained in from the Lee Strasberg Institute, Stanislavski method acting. I just don't think there's very many method actors anymore out there in Hollywood. It's not very vogue. Mm. Um and apart from Jared Leto, that's not method. That papa story is amazing. <laughs> the what story? Papa. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But here's papa. the interesting thing. I mean, I do. I I, I agree with Jeremy, mm. and and not so much you, William, with regard to Patrizia Reggiani's performance, mm. um, because. It's interesting to me that um, Gaga plays a character who is um, uh, a bright, attractive, well-meaning, working-class girl who works hard because she works through this film. She doesn't just marry Gucci and then sit around, right? Mm-hmm. She ingratiates herself into the family business or tries to. And she makes the decisions that right. her husband is kind of e Exactly. About. Mm. And so if you, you know, if you draw a parallel with the way that Gaga has come up in the world, mm-hmm. she works blimmin' hard um, in, in order to, to find that sort of success. So mm. it's interesting you say method acting, Jeremy, but I feel as though perhaps with Gaga, 
there is so much about this character that she can identify with. And I don't mean that unkindly at all. I don't think that she's mm. mercenary. I don't think she's greedy. I don't think she's, you know, a social climber or any of that stuff at all. But that, to me, gave her character authenticity, even mm. though it was a larger-than-life, big hair, big earrings, hey, you're annoying me, Senor Gucci, you know, kind of character. Mm. I, I mean, yeah, I, I like Gaga fine in this. I, I think the character is, is well-written, and I think she brings a lot to the table. I, I just thought her accent was all over the place, that's all. Mm. Yeah, um, it did not ring true to, I guess... None of the accents meshed together, uh, mm. which just made it a hodgepodge. It reminded me somewhat strangely of Watto from Star Wars Episode One, <laughs> the, the the flying oh, Italian yeah. racial stereotypes. Oh. Like, hey, Anakin, what are you doing? Yeah, yeah. No. only man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not right. Interestingly, yeah. uh, structurally similar in some ways to his other film, which was fantastic. The Last Jewel, which mm. I saw last year, mm. um, which starts with the jewel, the clashing of the swords, mm. or whatever it is, whatever mm-hmm. they, they don't have swords, do they? The pikes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it cuts back. Mm-hmm. And this same thing, like you mentioned, Sarah, it, it opens with um, uh, Gucci, what's his Just before Maurizio's, Maurizio's, Maurizio's assassination. Maurizio's final moments. Yeah. And, and then it cuts back. Um, so he, he made these movies, I think he, was, he talked to... Uh, Adam Driver on the set of The Last Jewel said, I've got this role for you. So he was kind of already getting ready to film yeah. this. That's also filmed it in the height of the pandemic, mm. uh, which is interesting. It'd be interesting to know how they got some of those group shots and things like that. Um, the other thing, yeah. sorry to interrupt you, but the other thing that you know that's interesting for Ridley, The Last Jewel has his sort of trademark bluey-grey tint, which it should have because it's set in the depths of winter in not medieval, but you know, I'm terrible with my history, mm-hmm. but ye olden daisies, right? Mm-hmm. And people, and it's horrible and it's cold and it's, you know, and that's appropriate. And it's, it's such a bum that he goes then to, to Rome and to Tuscany and Milan and, and still has that slightly mm, muted tone right. going on, which is appropriate for the story because you're dealing with a story of, of love gone sour. But it's a shame because there's so much to exploit in that uh, in that natural sort yeah. of um, arena. And mm. the movie's about high fashion. Yes, <laughs> yes. Like, show me... And, and of course, when the movie does become colourful, like, Gaga's bright red, like, it really, really stands out. Yeah. Right. Well, let's go around and do thumbs. For me, it's a one thumb. Well, it's funny, isn't it? Oh, no, it's not that funny. It's, it's, <laughs> no, it's not that funny. It's one... It, it's got to be one thumb. I mean, I still tell people they ought to see it. I still say, mm. if you're interested, you should totally go. It's just you'll find it a little bit laggy, and you'll find maybe some of yeah. the performances a little bit over the top, and yet it's still entertaining and worth seeing. So I guess that, but with all those caveats. So I guess I have to go one star. Uh, not one star, heck no, one thumb on it. I, mm. I think that's fair, a little bit laggy. I, I would go one thumb down. Um, basically, yeah, I, I thought the movie worked, and maybe I'm in the extreme minority i thought the movie worked best when there was just that manic energy that go for broke jared leto-ness sure um and everything else just felt i mean obviously it was opera inspired melodrama or, or that but um but it was just really sodden and it dragged yes it did yeah. and it wasn't even that long yeah that, that's right it just felt long yes that that and that is poor filmmaking mm-hmm. and that is unfortunate given you've got the sort of story that you've got and the, as you say the the, the quite vibrant performances yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, it was all right. It was I all right. guess we're both, whether we've thumbed it up or thumbed it down or mm-hmm. had a different perspective, it's really, 
it's a it's a mixture of tone and a mixture of what the film's trying to mm. do. We're we're both sort of we're all falling on different sides of the fence, aren't we? We yeah. wanted the movie to be, and I think that's probably probably indicative of the movie not kind of quite knowing exactly what it's trying to do. Mm. Possibly, yeah. Mm. All right, let's move on to our fifth film of our discussion, uh, The Matrix Resurrections, mm. which uh, came out, I think, was it Boxing Day or Christmas yeah, Day mm-hmm. or something like that? Mm-hmm. So The Matrix Resurrections is the fourth Matrix film directed by Lana Wachowski, one half of the Wachowski siblings. Uh, they made the first three films back in 1999 and the early 2000s. And, you know, we, we talked about the first Matrix in a previous episode last year a uh, fantastic film i would i think it's fair to say the sequels were uh, not as good mm, and mm. definitely m- mixed degrees of passion that people feel towards those movies mm. so skip forward was it 10 years 20 years something like that and we've got a new movie uh and lo and behold neo played by um keanu reeves is back in the film having died at the end of the third one uh, he's in a world that is seemingly um, familiar, but also kind of not clear, we're not clear how it connects, where he's alive, he's a successful game developer, he's developed three games called The Matrix yep. and its sequels, <laughs> uh, and Warner Brothers, the, the owner of their company, is demanding they make a fourth game. I love the madness of that. And they'll do it with or without <laughs> uh, Neo and his boss, who... I, I I don't want to give any spoilers there. Um, and yeah, and what ensues is him questioning his sanity um, because characters from his own game start to interact with him, like Morpheus and Trinity. Um, well, actually, Trinity's in it, isn't she? She's a married mm-hmm. woman with a different name. Tiffany. Tiffany. And actually, we get glimpses of them in mirrors where they're not quite them. They've got different mm. skins and things. So something strange is afoot. Mm. And... Um, and how and if and why and when and will it connect with the previous films is all part of the the ride. Mm. <laughs> I don't know. Is that a, is it? Can we can we milk any other key plot points without spoiling anything? I don't. Out of that? I don't think we need yeah. to. People will go if they want to. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think it's fair to say I went I went to this film with uh, multiple generations of my family, so my parents and my siblings and uh, my nephew, all of whom had seen the original Matrix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and. There was varying responses. Some people had a great time and loved it. Some people thought it was the dumbest thing they've ever seen. And I fall somewhere in the middle. (laughs) I kind of enjoyed myself, but it was so stupid. I had a great time and loved it, Mm -hmm. while still thinking that it wasn't a perfect film. But I definitely had a great time. But I I don't know. I mean, maybe nostalgia plays a large part in that. The fact that, that, that Neo and Trinity are still delightful. I mean, it was, it was just so lovely to be with them again. And also, I did love all of the metaness. Like, you know, when there's, mm-hmm. and this is not a spoiler, but when there's the brainstorming montage of, of the, the folks at Warner Brothers <laughs> coming up with I, new I, ideas. I, I think that that is the best scene in the movie. It's fantastic. One word. Yeah. Bullet time. <laughs> That's two I mean, words, I absolutely sir. loved it. Loved it. <laughs> and I, I can't wait for someone to pop just that scene on the internet so I can rewatch it a million times. Hey, <laughs> did you watch the cut scene at the end of the credits? Uh, no. It's, no. It's, a, it's a cut scene from that scene. And it's really dumb. We waited. We waited till the end of the credits. We're like, "Oh, that was dumb." I can't even remember what happens, but right. it's some some bit. But I mean, that whole scene is like, so what do people want out of Matrix Four? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, to, to me, Matrix is about this. Matrix is about that. 
Um, yeah, this movie is, is, I mean, super divisive and understandably so. Mm. I don't think it's the Matrix sequel that anyone wanted. Um, but obviously, like, it really struck a chord with some people. I, um, one of my favorite podcasts, the, the film cast, one of their, their hosts named this as his favorite movie of 2021. Like, <laughs> oh my goodness. Wow, wait. <laughs> yeah. And the Wachowski stuff does that, right? Like, I was yeah. talking to my friends yesterday, and they were, and they were raving to me about Speed Racer and William. You've, mm-hmm. you've mentioned a lot about Speed Racer, and I still haven't seen it. They were like, it's amazing. And, mm-hmm. and, um, and one of, one of those same friends, she said, look, I also went and saw, um, Jupiter, Jupiter Ascending and had a great time and then we tried to rewatch it and I just, we couldn't get through it. Yeah. No. And I had a great time in Jupiter Ascending but it was terrible in so many yeah. ways. I love Cloud Atlas but it's really problematic with a lot of its mm-hmm. makeup and and various races. They, they do races. it again in Matrix Resurrections. Like what is the what Wachowski's predilection to bad old age makeup? Oh, with, <laughs> like, with, yes, yes. It's really hard to talk about this movie without spoilering yeah. things, isn't it? Because there are some really good surprises. And yeah. I think my, my true criticisms, and, and I don't mean that in a, in a negative way, my just critiques of the film yeah. perhaps, um, are in that second half of the movie where we, it would have to, we would have to give away some key yeah, plot points. Yeah, I, I agree with that, Jeremy. I think I, I was actually really amused and entertained by what they were doing with the video game Metanus. Yeah, same. Um, so much of that stuff is so on the nose that it feels... It's not just thumbing your nose at, at Warner Brothers and the authority, right? It's giving them like... Flipping the bird, yeah, full yeah, on, yeah. like yeah. you know, come at me, bro. Yeah. Um, and for a huge commercial blockbuster to do this and have such authorial, uh, like, like authorship. Yes. Um, is, is amazing. Admirable, yeah. Uh, and then the second half just tries to have its cake and eat it too. It's, that's the exact phrase I'm thinking. Have its cake yeah. and eat it too. I, I was quite happy with that because it was so ridiculous already. Um, <laughs> There is some problematic stuff in that second half, like the final action sequence, the way that um, the villains are trying to destroy them. I, I, I don't want to say it without spoiling, yeah. but just in terms of... like if The film is dealing with um, suicide ideation, it's dealing with mental health, sure. and then you've got... Um, some inappropriate well, choices. Skip forward 10 say. seconds, team, if you haven't seen it, but people falling out of windows. Yes, mm. yes. And, and it's kind of like, oh, this is... Interesting, and some of the people in our group did not like it. Oh, no, 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 no. I thought that I thought that was a really, really beautiful metaphor for what the internet does to people, oh, uh, especially right. in the age of you know January sixth insurrection and how. It, I, I mean, for me, it was the metaphor of your normal average bloke, like just being completely radicalized by the swarm. That, yeah. that idea of this, this group think that turns people into mindless lemmings. Yeah, yeah, basically. Um, That's interesting. I yeah. guess. I guess, and again, viewers, if you skip forward 10 seconds, you'd probably come... You're come back! In, yeah, <laughs> um, but I think that that image, and I'm going to talk you know, cryptically again, that image... It's disturbing. It's a disturbing yeah. image. And I, I personally was like fine with it, but there were people in our, in our group who have struggled with suicide ideation, and, and mm. that was quite a confronting image. But yeah, I thought the climax was inc- just... Okay, so basically, first half, meta, blah, blah, blah. Rediscovering the world, loved it. Uh, and then what we might call, I guess, Act 2, 2.5. I don't know. Sort of after the halfway point, then there's that bit that goes just traditional sci-fi kind of, we've got to go on a quest. Blah, who cares? None of that's interesting to me at all. 
But then the ending, actually, despite okay. the despite the unsavouriness of some of the choices, perhaps, that mm-hmm. was a very exciting sort of climax. Mm. So again, I would find this film quite difficult to quantify in terms of stars or thumbs or whatever, because there's definitely bits in it that didn't do anything for me, but there was so much mm. that totally did that that, I guess, overrides my experience of nice. it. Which is why I came out at the end going, had a blimmin' good time, you know? I, I think for me, um, a large reason of why I found the second half so dispiriting was the the action was just really poorly done. Mm, <laughs> like, mm. like you, you know, say what you will about Matrix 2 and 3. I, I mean, they, they are objectively bad movies. Mm. But the action and the sequences in there, I mean, they, they are still, I would say, unsurpassed to this day. Some of the mm-hmm. ideas in 2 and 3, the, the, the highway chase, the yeah. Smith vs. Neo fight with the water like exploding outwards, like that's what I think you go into a Matrix movie wanting. And maybe it was intentional, maybe it wasn't. It just felt like everything was really, really um, half-baked. Right, mm. the action was pretty boring. The hand-to-hand stuff was shot in the generic over-the-shoulder shaky cam. Um, even the new effects, the time messing around and Neo's new powers, just seemed super lame. Which, by the way, made no sense. Yeah, they didn't really explain a lot of stuff, and it was just like, okay, we're just gonna go along with lots of <laughs> new <laughs> things appearing in the story with no real sense. Because we're just so happy to see you again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we're in the Matrix. Anything can happen. Yeah, that's Matrix. exactly right. <laughs> But right. uh, the disappointing thing is, I think a lot of the new elements are actually really interesting. I like new Morpheus. Uh, what's that? Yeah, yeah, Abdul Martin II. Uh, Abdul Martin II. I think he, he does a great job. Yes, and he same. has lots of swag, and it's like, yes. okay, I, I'm into it. But then he has nothing to do. Like, it's just. And it keeps repeating again and again and again. Meanwhile, just drawing from that well of nostalgia, I mean, this is. Uh, we've had so many, you know, quote-unquote legacy calls recently. Ghostbusters Afterlife was awful. I mean, it was, it was Force Awakens, Jurassic World, things that play off our nostalgia for stuff from the past, our love for stuff in the past. And I think this is really the one that features the most footage mm. from the original Matrix sure, yeah, sure. on it's screen. Through. That's it's, true, actually. It's explicitly there. Yes. Um, yeah, interesting choice. Did you know, spotted trivia... And this is not a spoiler, particularly to say that Tiffany's character has a husband and kids. The husband is played by. Um, it's not a spoiler, is it? To no, say I don't that think he's so. played by. Um, Her real husband? No, no. no um, director of John Work. Keanu's, oh, right. um, Keanu's stunt double from the original Matrix films. Chad. Uh, uh, Stravowski? Who went yeah. on to make the John Wicks films. Right. Well, you yeah. know, the, the, the image of Neo in the reflections is. Yeah. Carrie Moss's real husband. Oh! Yeah. And interesting, William, you talk about Morpheus not really doing anything. I mean, that's my problem with the original films as well, is that he does, he kind of is the damsel in distress in the first movie after sort of activating um, Neo. And then he doesn't really do anything <laughs> for two films. Um, I'm, I'm, I always think that Morpheus should have died in the second movie instead mm-hmm. of him saving Trinity. Mm-hmm. Um, that he would have had this choice and he actually had to choose to let Morpheus die. Like that... That would have been a more compelling drama for me. Um, and interestingly, one of my colleagues who watched this fourth movie said, this movie has no drama at all. Where's There's no stakes or anything. Which I was like, okay, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right, let's give our, what's our, our rankings, Ooh. thumb rankings. I'm going to go two thumbs. Oh. Wow. For, no, seriously, I'm awesome. going to go two thumbs because as I mentioned, the bits that weren't meh are so far overshadowed <laughs> by all of the joy 
Um, so, so the two thumbs are my level of enjoyment, not necessarily how mm-hmm. good the film was, if you get what I mean. Yeah. And I just thoroughly enjoyed being with them again, but being with them con- contemporarily, like grown-up Keanu, grown-up Neo, uh, and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, you're making me want to see it again, which is ridiculous. <laughs> awesome. Uh, I, I would say, yeah, probably one one thumb down for me. Um, Wait, just, what, is that one up? Oh, one, no, one no. Down, just one, one down. down. Just one down. Um, yeah, I I love movies like 22 Jump Street and Space Balls and, and Wes Craven's New Nightmare. Like, th- these movies which talk about what the franchise means to them. Yeah, yeah. Or, franchise in terms of space balls being star wars um and playing with the idea like we are making one of these movies in front of you yeah. right now um so the the first which screen does as well the screen yeah it, I was, yeah. absolutely i was gonna bring the up the new screen the new screen is, is all that all that and it is right. all exactly what you're talking but about but of course the screen Force two Awakens, was let's yeah. make a movie of the thing and the yeah. dar and the whatnot so yeah um and i i just wanted more of that i would be fine if they were stuck in that boardroom all day talking about so yeah. how can we make matrix 4 really sing yeah, yeah, yeah. um i would be okay if it was like a before sunset with with you know thomas and tiffany i think that would have been awesome um but it's not either of those instead it just becomes kind of a weak reboot slash remake of matrix one two and three right i'm um, drawing elements from each of them um done in a way that just does not have the the visual p- pizzazz and i don't know if that that's because the creators behind it were just tired and i know they had to refilm a lot of it because of covid and germany um, but it just came off as really low energy, low effort, unfortunately. Mm. Oh, I think for me, I had, you know, I've seen multiple Wachowski pro- projects now since H being one I was kind of keen on and then gave up on. Um, you know, Cloud Atlas, so problematic, but still enjoy it. Um, Jupiter Ascending being a mess, but kind of having a good time. So I sort of went into this movie with a very, I think, on point expectation. Um, expectations and so for me my enjoyment is a thumbs up but I'm going to give the film a thumbs down because I think it was so many things that was so silly I feel crazy now <laughs> maybe I should go one thumb up maybe I've under maybe I've, I've got the wrong end of the stick on no, this stick rating with system yeah. stick with it I think it's fine I think this film demands a response mm-hmm. either way uh, you, there's just there's people out there who love and adore this movie yeah um and then there's other people who say like it's a complete disaster beginning to end yeah Yeah. right let's move on to our sixth film the power of the dog that's correct we've landed on Mm -hmm. so um i'll give a summary of this so the power of the dog is the new film by jane campion new zealand filmmaker her first movie in so long set here or just generally generally yeah because her last project was the girl at the the top Top of the the lake lake. and then Um, before that uh, also bright star yeah which bright star is fantastic uh, so this film follows, um, I guess, uh, a family, a, a makeshift family uh, with um, Jesse Plemons and his brother, played by Benedict Cumberpatch, sort of ranchers, I believe. Yeah. And they find themselves uh, in, a, in an area where Jesse Plemons starts a relationship with Kirsten Dunst, his real-life wife. Uh, and she runs a restaurant with her son. Um, I believe she lost her husband he died she's, yes. she's a widow widow um and the young boy he was a teen a young man he's preparing to go to university um he's you know he's in terms of masculinity he's uh not he's not a, a typical cowboy he makes paper flowers um is relatively introspective enjoys studying um and the 
Benedict Cumberpatch character is a pretty harsh human being. And when uh, Jesse Plemons and Kirsten Dunst, is, uh, they get married in, in the film, he becomes her brother-in-law and quite a taunting, abusive force. And so the film is really about these tensions between um, Kirsten Dunst and Benedict Cumberpatch. Mm. Um, Benedict Cumberpatch uh, is quite horrible to the young the young boy, so there's sort of a tension there. And Jesse Plemons with his brother, there's tension there as well. So mm. it's a film that you don't quite know where it's going, but it's winding up. Uh, you know that something's going to happen. Mm. And, it's, and it's a real return to form for Jane Campion. Boy, howdy, does something happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it, so sorry, right. I should say, boy, howdy. <laughs> so it's set in Montana, but it's filmed in central Otago, mm-hmm. Aotearoa, New Zealand. Over, they, they came and filmed during the pandemic. That's yeah. correct. Yeah, famously we're here during the lockdown. There's been yeah. interviews with Kirsten Dunst and Jesse Plemons yeah. staying and in a hotel with their son or child or... And Cumberbatch, like just staying around the New Zealand sites yeah. you know, for, for quite a while. And it's worth saying that the nephew is played by Kobe Smith McPhee, mm-hmm. um, who is an extraordinary looking young man who's grown into an extraordinary looking. By extraordinary, I do not mean classically handsome, but he's he's very gangly and angular and far out his performance was Oof. extraordinary. Well, is he, so is he a child star? He yeah. is a child star. He, he, he's, um, he's been in a bunch of YA and like kid fair. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I he's fantastic. Like, was he in Spy Kids and all those? No, no. No, okay. In that case, forget that. But yeah, so he's kind of a kid that's grown up and is now putting out this performance for which he was nominated. Did he win the Golden Globe? I'm not sure. But, I don't think so. But nominated mm. for Best Supporting Actor yeah. absolutely appropriately. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, I think what's so magnificent, and you, you spoke eloquently, Jeremy, about the tension that underlies this whole film, is in a way everybody plays their character quite quietly, mm-hmm. including Benedict Cumberbatch, yeah. who only occasionally raises his voice but i just think is such a superb actor that he is able to be sinister and threatening with a sneer or a look or a you know the the smallest a posture the smallest of moves um and so all of them it's quite a quiet film isn't it but it's a deadly film absolutely it's really interesting to see jane campion kind of flex her muscles i haven't seen a film like this from her that is so cohesive mm. since probably the piano because i think bright star is just a beautifully lo- it's a love story it's mm. a wonderful film top of the lake is is i've got issues with both of those yeah. seasons oh yeah it's yeah. messy but yeah. it's uh, season two I, I couldn't get through i watched season two at like a like a screening where you did yes yes i did was it mm. in the film festival yeah, yeah and she yeah. was there jane campion mm. was there mm. and we watched uh, you know, it started at 2 p.m., I think. We watched the first two hours, had a break, watched the, the next two hours, mm. had a break, watched the final two yes. hours. And I remember watching, getting to the the end of the fourth hour, which was dinner time, going to get some food and thinking, I'm loving this. Every hour of this is, like, amazing. Mm. And then the moment the fifth hour starts, like, too many coincidences and just <laughs> yeah. collapsed in and of self. And yes. I just thought... Oh, and you've kind of... It was those narrative letdowns that happen sometimes in really fantastic, like, killings or Mm. Mayor of East Towns or whatever, eh? When all of a sudden they've got to find their ending. Yeah. Yeah. And there are contrivances or... Game of Thrones. Yeah, Yeah. just, you know. And this film, actually, not like that. Based on um, a short story or a novel? I think it's a novel. A novel. Right. So the narrative is all... yeah, Yeah, the narrative's all written out and... And brilliant, 
And therefore, I don't mean all she has to do is, you know, but all she has to do is cast amazing people, mm. exercise the restraint that actually she's very good at, mm. um, and not cast Peter Mullen. Because he's a little bit of a big actor. He was in Your Top of the Lakes. I think yeah. he was in the first season, and he's, he's a bit big. Right. So, uh, so instead, you get your Cumberbatch in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think watching this movie was such an interesting experience for me. Um, I, I guess through the first hour, I was not really vibing with it. Um, I'll just say that I did watch this on Netflix. Mm. Um, I think, Sarah, you I saw you it saw in the cinema, mm -hmm. which I I'm watched, glad of. I watched it on Netflix, but I watched it on my reasonably large TV. Sort of lights low, by myself, no interruptions. Great. Turn my phone off. So near as damn it, the Rialto Cinema 7 experience. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, pretty much. Yeah. Except for I didn't have sticky feet on the ground. No, that's know, right, like that's right. Popcorn in my hair. Yeah. So I, I'll just go go ahead and say, I, I was actually getting a little bored uh, through the first half mm -hmm. of the movie. I felt like, I, like I, I got what the movie was, was getting at, which was these long... Um, almost distended scenes of not much happening to get you in that feeling, yes. right? Um, and there are some of those sequences which are extraordinary, uh, especially a scene where Kristen Dunst has to play the piano. Mm. Oh, it's and it amazing. Is the the most tense I've been... Mm. Uh, I, I can't even remember. Maybe, maybe what, like... Um, Oh gosh, what, what was that that movie? Uh, Park Chan Wook, um, uh, The Handmaiden. I yes. think had one of those scenes where it was like, oh my gosh, where's this going? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, just this the sense of foreboding and tension, and there's no there's no threat of violence. No, there's there's nothing, but something really bad is about to happen. Yeah. Um, just ooh. I think um, Tarantino talks about that in regards to he talks about how happy he was with the ranch sequence in his film. In what's Once upon a time, time in Hollywood, yes. right? There's a difference between uh, tension and, and terror. True. Because mm -hmm. um, he also talks about it in relation to the ending of Joker. Yes. Says, uh, you know, tension yeah. is you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. Terror is you think you know exactly what's going to happen and you don't want to see it. Right? Yeah. Um, and I and I don't know if that's quite the power of the dog, but I think mm. there's an element of that. Like, you equally you know something's going to happen, and you're not quite sure, but also you know that one of these characters is is potentially not in a safe space and it's yeah. very likely Kirsten Dunst and she's kind of a wonderful character um i think my big comparison scary. would be uh well sorry you've made the comparison my big my big response to that would be that in the ranch scene in once upon a time in hollywood which you're absolutely right tension ratcheting ratcheting mm. ratcheting ratcheting and then amounting to nothing mm. he might argue qt might argue oh but it does lead up to tension by the end of the film but for me i had real problems with the pacing mm. and therefore got to the end of that ranch scene and it went like that and i mm. went not big not clever whereas jane manages to maintain the tension through mm. multiple tiny mini aggressions microaggressions in a way isn't it yeah. like keep playing is a microaggression oh, you know whatever it might be um the, the most aggressive banjo since deliverance that's <laughs> so nice you know so small otherwise innocuous yeah. things you're absolutely right within the context tension 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 to an extraordinary again low-key ending that yeah. is actually enormously powerful so mm. with, with stuff like that i felt like especially in the first hour of the movie like some of those scenes did play out that way and some scenes just felt really really long and pointless right um and uh, like again going back to what i said about matrix like low energy and not doing anything really for either tone nor narrative right uh but then once you get to the final 15 minutes of the movie it's like, oh my, like, like I'm Sherlock Holmes and then all the pieces are in front of me. Right. And finally, I understand retrospectively 
why those scenes were there. Yes, mm, right, right, right. So, right. So, yeah. in deduction or induction, yes. which way? You're looking back and going, <laughs> oh, I yeah, see deduction. now why those actually yeah. feel like powerful scenes. Mm-hmm. Got you. I love nice. that. I love that. And we, so Sarah and I went and saw a film uh, this week, um, Nightmare mm-hmm. Alley. Mm-hmm. And I had a real strong sense, didn't I? There was a certain mm-hmm. part of that movie that um, you were I was, like, why, I was is, like, this? why yeah. is this here? Mm. This has to come back into it. And then it does come back into it in multiple ways. It's very yes. satisfying. Yes. It's, it's definitely that thing of like, you know, with a good filmmaker, you can trust, you can trust that they're going to, they're going to be doing But everything has its purpose. Yeah. yeah that's but, right. I guess we so often watch movies where that doesn't happen. Yeah. So you sometimes are like, I'm not sure if this is going to land. And with Jane Campion, some of her previous stuff hasn't landed. Mm. Mm. Or she's mm. brought in things to solve a situation kind of last minute. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, interesting connection as well between QT and and JC. Yeah, um, Jesus Christ, no, uh, Jane Campion yeah. and Quentin Tarantino is that when he saw Bright Star, he he wrote a, a letter of just absolute adoration for that film mm. and delivered it to Jane Campion. So there's Did a lovely he? connection there. I suspect he just fancied Abby Cornish. Ah, oh my God, <laughs> haven't seen her for a while. No, yeah. quite rightly. Right. Let's move on. Right. Uh, big, big two thumbs from me. Same here. Yeah. Two thumbs. Two thumbs from me. Although I, I would say uh, maybe I appreciate what the movie does more than I liked it. Right. Uh, but holy cow, that ending! Uh, it reminded me a lot of The Green Knight, where throughout The Green Knight, and this is my, one of my favorite movies from last year, I was like. Oh, this is really dragging, and yeah, it's pretty, but where's this going? And then when you get to the ending, it's like, ah, oh, jeez, you're a genius. Yeah. Oh. Um, yeah. So a very, very similar vibe. So again, I I appreciate it and respect it more than I like it, but yeah, two thumbs. Cool. Two nice. Thumbs. That ending is so good. Mm. Okay, well, let's move on to our seventh and final film of our seven films from summer for our seventieth episode. And just to carry on the sibilance, uh, let's talk West Side Story. Nice. nice. William, over to you. <laughs> All right. <laughs> William, over to you. Super. <laughs> I'll, I'll just carry on with what we were saying, uh, Sarah. Uh, could it be? Yes, it could. Something's coming. Something good. Maybe tonight. Woohoo! Uh, West Side Story is Steven Spielberg's love letter slash remake to the um, original uh, Bernstein Sondheim show, West Side Story. Um, I mean, obviously, a lot of people know it from the 61 version, the film version, which is, uh, I think, a masterpiece. Yes. Uh, but the, the new Steven Spielberg version um, does a lot of modern flourishes, which really, I think, tightens up that age-old story that's kind of a ripoff of Romeo and Juliet of the sharks and the jets mm. these these dueling teen gangs in New York in the 1950s while everything is in turmoil um so the polish i guess of sorts versus the puerto ricans um and the central love story between one of the jets uh, tony and the sister of one of the sharks maria and how that escalates into gang war Nice. I think it's fair to say that Tony Kushner, who wrote the screenplay, also went back to the original book, the original musical before the film, and the and the nineteen sixty one film to draw from and and bring and also the revival. I think they, mm. they, he sort of wove together a range three of different, different source materials. Yeah, quite yeah, a few different source materials. Yeah. And, and to to produce this film, um, 
and Steven Spielberg, like, what clearly wanting to make a musical yeah. forever. <laughs> and clearly also wanting to make this musical specifically. Yeah, I think about so, the opening of Temple of Doom and the musical yeah. sequence of that. You know, Karen. So if you're going to make a musical, if you're Steven Spielberg and you're latish in your career and you haven't made one and you're going to make one, and I know this is going to sound unfair and this is an original thought coming straight out of my head, but I kind of feel as though if you choose a musical, and particularly one that has a film version already, then you've got this wonderful opportunity to either say, great, I love what they did in, what was it, 47? No. Uh, 61. Sorry, 61. I love what they did in 61, so I'm going to extract the uh, America scene, and instead of doing it in a rooftop car park, I'm going to do it out in the streets. Uh, and, the, and similarly to go, okay, uh, I see what they did with um, Be Cool, um, but I'm actually going to put it somewhere else. I feel as though a lot of the work had been done for him, if you get what I mean, because he has a choice. Either to go, I'm just going <laughs> to replicate I Feel Pretty, or I'm going to change it ever so slightly. Maybe this is, feels like a simplistic thing to say, but this is not as original, obviously, as something like oh. In the Heights or whatever, right? Yeah. So therefore, I kind of think, you know, how can you go wrong, in a way? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I mean, arguably, you can make funny choices, like, but I, but I don't know that he did. Oh, I didn't. I hear what you're saying, but I, I thought he did a spectacular job, and that, what a huge risk to remake one of the greatest musical films of all time. Mm -hmm. And he took it, and I loved the way that he changed those sequences so that it was something different. Uh, and he also fixed certain parts of the story from yeah. my perspective. Mm, mm. Some things that just for me never really worked in that original film. Like the pacing is sort of a little bit clunky. The scenes don't always feel as fun as the musical numbers. Mm -hmm. And also there are things now that have dated that they needed to change as well. And I thought they did, the team, is clearly a huge collaborative effort, did an, did an amazing job. The film looks phenomenal. I, I don't know how they filmed this. I think it looks phenomenal until you see some of the CGI, which I think doesn't look that great. Where right. is the CGI? Yeah, well, I mean, a lot of the background stuff. And it's really As obvious. As in the, the, the buildings. Yeah. Right. It's really obvious in the uh, in credits when yes. you see the CGI recreations of New York. Oh. It's like, oh, yeah, these shadows, it still doesn't look quite right. 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 Yeah. Right. But, 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 but then again, you know, in the 61 version, it was very clearly matte painting. Yeah. Yes, like, yes. <laughs> Well, what did you think, though, of the lighting or the, the tint that Spielberg oh, puts? Oh, interesting. Because, it, again, is that almost Ridley Scottian bluey grey? There were a lot of lens flares. Um, <laughs> was was yeah, it to evoke 1960s? Was that the intention? I don't know. Hmm. I mean, it wasn't quite as technicolour, obviously. Right. Um, although, I mean, it was significantly more colourful and vibrant than the 61 version. Yeah. Like, they, they costumed the, the characters in a way That's, that really, you know, burst from the screen. That's true. That's uh, but they, true. this was filmed on film, right? So it, was, it wasn't digital. Oh, wow. Yeah, so... You can tell as well. Mm -hmm. I, I loved it. I thought... Um, the choice of, you know, they gave um, Somewhere, for instance. I don't think there's any major... That's a pretty well-known no, story. Yeah. It's a 50-year-old. Yeah, yeah. So, so some, Somewhere, which is usually a, a large ballad that yeah. Tony and Maria sing after he's murdered someone. It was going into that, and I thought, oh, I was like, no, 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 I don't want to see this. Like, yeah. it doesn't, didn't feel appropriate. Wait, and what? So, wait, what? That song normally happens after... He's killed... Well, it happens in the same spot. Her brother? Yeah. It happens in the same spot, oh. but they usually sing it. It's a love song. Yes. Yeah. But they gave it to Rita Moreno's Oh, yes, yes, yes. It's almost like a lament. Yes. And it was... It kind of fixed that song yeah. for me. Yes. Because I thought it was just... It was, I knew it was coming, and I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> 
Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I've told you guys, I am a West Side Story super fan. Like, mm. it's just, it's part of my DNA. Mm. Grew up with it. I, I've been in the stage show in the pit orchestra for t- two times now. Know all the cues. Um, love the, the original movie. And watching this was so fascinating to really pick apart, like, the adaptation choices. Right, and that's kind of what I meant at the beginning yeah. with my long spiel. It's really about the choices that he made mm. yeah. from, a, from an existing, already good piece of IP. Is Absolutely. kind of what I meant. Yeah. Um, yeah, I completely agree, Jeremy. Like, what really bugs me about West Side Story, both the original show and the 61 version, is that, <laughs> oh man, Act 2... It's just, it's really bad. Like, it drags on yeah. and on. There's, it's really, really sad. Yes. But then they pepper it with songs like Officer Krupke and with um with friggin' I Feel Pretty. Yes. And it's like this tonal it's whiplash. It's unseemly. Yeah, it's, un- yeah. it's yeah, yeah. And, and then, of course, Somewhere, which is a beautiful number, but mm. it's, it's just... Every, I remember when I was in the pit, like, we'd get to somewhere and it's like, get on with it. This is so long. And yeah. Just, yeah. And it's really melodramatic. And just fixing so much of that, like, moving the rumble until much later in the show or in the movie. Mm. Um, making sure that everything that happens after the rumble is in such a... I think it's only, what, 40 or 45 minutes after the rumble? Mm. Whereas in the show, it's a complete hour and 20. Like, yeah. everything's just tightened up so well. Um, the characters of Bernardo and um, and Chino yes. are just, oh, they're so much better in this movie. Like, especially Chino, he, in the original show, he appears for two scenes and then he just, he shoots and kills Tony. That's his whole deal. And then this, he has uh, inner life. Yes. And he, he makes decisions and it's like, man, this is like amazing writing to, mm. as you say, Jeremy, fix so many of the shortcomings of the original show. Um, so overall, like as a piece, it works so much better. Now I, I think there's there's still some things that really don't work. I, I think uh, Tony trying to explain to Bernardo why he loves his sister while they're about to slaughter each other is like, oh, what are you doing, buddy? Um, but but I I would uh, hopefully charitably. Uh, chalk some of it up to the fact that these characters are teenagers and teenagers are stupid. Uh, I also still didn't like I Feel Pretty coming directly uh, after yeah, the, yeah. the murder. I, 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 but it's, it's intentional, right? It's supposed to be this whiplash. Like. But, it's, but it's not funny. I mean, it's not meant to be funny. It's not fun. It's, it's gross. And plus she's only doing... And plus in the, this movie, she's only in the room on her own, right? And, and previously she's in the... Um, oh, no, no. She's, 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 in she's the, with all the all other the girls uh, employees the, yeah. at, at the... Uh, oh, at the store. cleaning. Yes. Uh, when they're cleaning. Yeah, yeah. So it's... Hasn't, hasn't, they, hasn't they been taken out of some of the revival shows? And, and Sondheim has yeah, said that he doesn't like his... Oh, yeah. Sometimes the like song the isn't in it. Um, um, what's that? What did you say? Yeah, sorry. Sometimes the song isn't in the yeah. the stage musical version of it. I no, I still didn't like it. Mm. But yeah, I just didn't like it. <laughs> I don't know how you make that work better. And I appreciate what you say about the whiplash, but we get it because you your lovers just killed your brother. Well, maybe maybe that is what yet. Uh, I mean, we talked about this in chat um, about how I feel pretty. You know, traditionally comes straight after intermission. Yeah, right. And it's it's kind of a you know the very first notes of post intermission is boom 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 ba 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 ba. It's to get butts and seats. But that's lovely, and and that kind of works because you've had a breather to go. Oh my gosh, what a tragedy! This is sad. Let's get a glass of wine. Oh, it's time to go back in. Yeah, and then it doesn't feel quite as as I say unseemly, Mm -hmm. uh, distasteful as (laughs) as in this film. So I didn't like that. I loved I love this movie. I it's the one that stuck with me the most over the summer. Um, it was one that I kept thinking about and sort of reminiscing about. And it was sort mm. of like a almost like a last 
minute decision to go see it you know my my brother and his fiance and my nephew and i went and we just had a great time took a blanket because it's the air height con. of summer and they pumped the air con up <laughs> yeah it was a long movie and i was freezing so yeah. i was really happy to have it was a long yeah. movie. Uh, but i loved it and i think that and then now Encanto's kind of been building for mm. me as well but yeah real quick just in terms of adaptational choices uh going back to what you were saying sarah i think the highlight for me is just cool what they did with cool and because cool never really I, works I in the never, musical. No, I never like it originally, yeah. and I liked it better this time. It's, I don't even remember it from the original. Uh, movie. So in, in, they're in a car park. Yeah, it's it's uh, one of the jets kind of riff second in command, and he's like, "We've just killed a guy. Let's stay cool, fellas." And it, it's pretty claustrophobic, so it's a low ceiling car park, yeah. and they're doing ballet where the heads are almost touching the ceiling, so it's nicely staged. But it doesn't fit in the movie. Yeah. Um, in the original show, it's more like this, but it's it's kind of Tony trying to defuse the situation, and he just comes off as a doofus. Whereas in this version, mm. oh, it's terrifying! Oh, I thought the gun was going to go off at any and, moment. Yeah. And because of the hole in the floor. Yes. Yeah. And the yeah. choreography is amazing. Yeah, I think it, yeah. I thought it was terrific. Yeah. I was so scared someone was going to get. It's like the best, the best adaptational change in the whole thing. Is it Biff or Riff? Riff. I love Riff in the film. <laughs> Biff, Riff, Raff. I love... Riff, Raff is... Yeah. Rocky, Rocky Horror. Rocky Horror. Rocky Horror. I loved Riff in yeah. this film. Yes. He really, really made an impression on me. And mm -hmm. him... I mean, Officer Krupke is my favourite number and I don't mm -hmm. care how they do it. I love all the words and it's great. But the, it really made an impact on me that he had sort of simultaneously everything to lose and nothing to lose yeah. because he has nothing and I and there was a, a moment when I really realized that Riff is a product of the streets and uh, ain't got no mother ain't got no father um, the gang is everything to him mm -hmm. and I felt deeply sad mm, yeah. um, in the middle of a musical because uh, because that's real mm. and I thought his performance was stunning and mm. before we go I think we have to acknowledge the Tony and the Maria because I know that that's divisive although mm. apparently everybody thinks the Maria is amazing and she is she's a great singer and she's amazing she won the Golden Globe didn't she? I don't she? care yeah. uh, why did she win the Golden Globe? because uh, she's fresh and new and amazing and she's terrific <laughs> in it and she's a yeah. great singer and I just and she's got chutzpah yeah. which is terrific but I don't love Rachel Ziegler I don't love her don't love her oh okay <laughs> look I think she's blooming great but I don't love her okay. and and okay. I'm sometimes I'm a bit funny like that she, she does have a lot of chutzpah she um, does she initiates the kiss she uh, holds her the, own yeah. in that film uh, astonishingly mm -hmm. well now Ansel Elgort time for Ansel Elgort. Mm. I like him better than the previous Tony. I wouldn't give you tuppence for the previous Tony or oh. Natalie. Natalie <laughs> would. 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 But I know people don't like okay. Ansel Elgort in this, huh? I hate Ansel Elgort in this. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm just going to say, I, give, I know I've just been raving about this movie, but for me it's a one thumb up. Uh, because I think Ansel Elgort almost single-handedly brings the movie down to its knees. I, I think he's a bad singer. Like, <gasps> oh, his voice no, is so... I so thought it was good! He, he's he's like, voice. Mario! Like, a, a real flat... Um, his, he's just... He has such a non-expressive face. And but it's every... such a cute face! <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought, like, like all, all the scenes, the love scenes, just, like, collapsed. <laughs> because... He is, well, in my opinion, uh, he just brings nothing to the table. And this is not talking about, like, the allegations and all the bad stuff that's happening around this. But I just think the performance is, is god-awful. What's I'm the sorry. allegations? What's, no! Um, yeah. They're nothing! <laughs> 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 Shh! 
Uh, bad we things. don't even know <laughs> yeah. for sure. Only allegations. Oh, well, they're but, probably uh, true. I, yeah. I liked him. Uh, they're probably <laughs> true. Okay, we'll, we'll figure, Google that, listeners, and you'll find <laughs> yeah. out. I'm going to Google after this. So yeah, one thumb from me. I, I thought his singing voice was beautiful. I thought he didn't bring the movie down. I definitely think he was the weaker part. He was a bit droney. But for me, it was it was still passable. Two thumbs up from me. Mm. I'm going to go one thumb up. Um... It's weird. At the time, I was simultaneously... Oh, yeah. I think this is really well done and I can keep going watching it and I don't mind when this ends. And then afterwards, I just felt nothing. So Interesting. I know. Oh. Because it's not a bad film at all. I think it's heaps it's, it's a good. It's a pretty good film. And I love the, the 1961 version and yet it's deeply problematic and I'm not even being all PC about it. It's just when you're watching it, you don't like the fact that everyone has cocoa powder on their face and stuff, right? So I love the fact that there's none of that bullshit in this really one. Really obvious in HD. Right, in the, in the old <laughs> version, right? So I love the... the yeah. Oh, it's just so much better. Uh, and I love um, the beautiful woman who plays Rita Marino's character, Anita, mm-hmm. uh, who did win the Golden Globe. Mm. Um, and she's tremendous in this new version. She's going to win the Oscar because it's such a good story, isn't it? Mm. You know, and, she, and there's that Anita moment where she saves herself. You know? Yeah, she, Anita yeah. saves herself, which is quite cool. Right, yeah. so that's West Side Story. The Power of the Dog, The Matrix, Resurrections, House of Gucci. I have to say it like that. (laughs) The French Dispatch, I'm not going to say it with an accent. Mm -hmm. Encanto and Don't Look Up. So team, go and and watch them if you haven't already. Uh, You've heard our perspectives. I guess we we all thought something about, something positive about all at least yeah, all yeah, of yeah. Them. Yeah, yeah, at least yeah, one yeah. of us was going to, going to bat for one of these movies mm-hmm. um, yeah any last kind of comments or thoughts it's just such a packed packed December and January always is because it's yeah. pre-Oscars pre-Globe season and there's and lots so... of movies we haven't seen and if you haven't seen it already go and see Scream go and see Nightmare, Nightmare Alley, Alley. Um, what else is there been? The Eyes of Tammy Faye is about to oh, come out oh I enjoyed out. that yeah. Um, so, yeah, The Last it, Jewel it, yes yeah. Uh, which, which has not fared well um, in the box office, but those COVID will have a lot to... Yeah, yeah, those, yeah. those 35 to 40 But it's online millennials. now, so, you know, I would highly recommend people see The Last Year. Yeah, we watched it on whatever platform it's That's streaming right. on. So yeah. lots of great films, uh, dear listeners. And I just want to say thank you for listening to another episode of Cinema in Context. If you enjoyed our podcast, then please share it with your film-loving friends. You can listen to Cinema in Context through SoundCloud, Spotify, Radio Public, Stitcher... Amazon Music, and Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and even Instagram, which are great places to let us know what you think of this episode or give us suggestions for future films to discuss and compare. Look out for our next episode in a month's time, which will be our return to form, I think. Mm-hmm. Our February episode will compare two movies. And until then, no more mai.